poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is longtime online and live cash game crusher, Igor Iafi. Like many, many world-class cash game players around the world, Igor has flown under the radar in the poker world for a couple of decades. These are the type of guests I absolutely love having on CPG because they're human beings after my own heart. All they want to do is compete at a high level on the tables, maximize their hourly rate, cash out, and go home. Prestige and validation from the poker community at large is basically a non-factor. And what ends up happening, as in the case of today's guest, Igor Iafi, is that they're able to reduce the external noise, develop a streamlined process for improvement with an end goal of maximizing their poker ability, and over time, they develop into a poker monster. This may sound funny coming from someone with a podcast called Chasing Poker Greatness, but to me, poker greatness and anonymity are not mutually exclusive. For another real-world example, you only have to look at Vini Vidi from the Galfon Challenge. With that said, in today's conversation with Igor Iafi, you are going to learn a greatness bomb on the potential damage well-meaning poker teachers can cause to your results on the green felt, how Igor originally fell into the world of cards, what Igor believes are defining characteristics of winning poker players, and much, much more. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you a man you very much don't want to play poker against, high-level cash game crusher, Igor Iafi. Igor, good morning, yes. sir. Welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. How are you doing? Good. Good morning to you. Thank you very much. So typically on this show, the way we start out is by asking you about your story and your entry into poker. Uh, so we'll start out by how old are you so that we can you know, set the timeline. And then let's tell the listener how you got involved in the world of poker. Okay. I'm uh, 41 years old. Uh, and uh, I got involved in the world of poker uh, around uh, when I was 18, 19. I was uh, going to uh, these uh, charity, uh, uh, on the weekends they would have uh, charity events uh, that uh, had blackjack. Uh, so I would play blackjack with my friends. Uh, they had horrible rules. Let, let's go back a little bit because like, so what about your entry into playing cards, right? Like what led you to playing blackjack, um, just, you know, degening it up for, for fun? Uh, well, I, I was playing, uh, I was born in Soviet Union, and uh, chess was big there. Uh, my dad uh, introduced me to chess when I was uh, like around four or five. And then uh, I played uh, chess, I played cards, dominoes, dice, you know, a bunch of uh, Russian games with my uh, grandfather and uncle. So I always uh, liked uh, strategy games, and I always liked, uh, you know, cards. Yeah. So and that's how, that's, that's how I introduced to, uh, got introduced to cards. So how'd you get, how'd you, did you, you you're in your family move to the USA from the USSR? Uh, we, yes, we immigrated in uh, 89 when I was 10 years old uh, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to America. Cool. How, how actually, come? I, I got my first, I got my first taste of gambling. Uh, 
we, we were 12, I was 12, and my dad worked for this company. And uh, obviously, we were poor, we were only in America a year. And uh, it was a, a cruise, a Caribbean cruise for a Christmas uh, that uh, they took the whole family. And uh, I went on a cruise with my mom and my dad. And, uh, you know, I was bored, I had nothing to do. I was there by myself, the only kid. And uh, they had casinos, uh, uh, they had a casino on the cruise, and outside the casino, they had slot machines. And uh, I asked my mom for uh, maybe like $2 and quarters. And uh, I, I put the quarters in, and uh, I don't know, after maybe like three or four quarters, I hit a jackpot for 500 bucks. <laughs> parents were ecstatic. So that, that was my first taste of gambling, and I was hooked uh, after that. Yeah, I believe it. Um, so you, you win your 500. What did your parents say when you, you hit the well, jackpot? They, they qu- quickly confiscated a 500, and uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they told me good job. They were very happy. That, that helped the family out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done, kid. Give me that money. Um, we're right, gonna put exactly. it to good use. Um, so after that, after your entry into the world of of gambling, tell me what came next. I mean, obviously, this is that's a pretty significant moment to where it whets your appetite. Um, did you have any other encounters with gambling before you became like? Oh yeah, when we, were, when we were in high school, we would get together at my uh, one of our friends' house, and we would play. Uh, we would play spades for money. Mm. We would play hearts. Uh, we would play like draw poker. I mean, there was a lot of cheating going on there, uh, <laughs> like a, a ton of cheating. So we, we were playing for like 15, 20 bucks. But when you're in high school, that's uh, that, that's a lot of money. So basically yeah. with those same group of guys, we found uh, those charity uh, events. We found out that you can uh, play like, you know, blackjack every weekend. Cool. Yeah. Spades is actually how I got my start into the world of playing cards was just obsessively playing Yahoo Spades when I was like age 13 to like 18. And so I think there's a lot of parallels strategically from those other card games to poker. And so you, you start playing blackjack at these charity events. Why was this so appealing? Like, why did you want to go play blackjack at the charity events? Well, I was 18 and uh, that's the only place I could gamble. So we, we were going, we were, you know, I, I worked at a company and I go to college after school. I started working in a computer company. I started uh, from a regular warehouse guy. It was a family friend business, and then I worked all the way, all, all the way up to uh, a salesperson. I was like one became one of the top salespeople there when I was eighteen or nineteen. Uh, so how did you how did you progress so quickly? Uh, well, uh, they hired me with the intention of uh, of moving me up. Okay, like you know that, that so was part goal. of the plan. Yeah, my uncle, my uncle worked there. He was he was a salesperson. He was making good money. Uh, so that was my goal. Like I didn't know anything about computers, so they started me at the warehouse, <laughs> unloading like monitors. Mm-hmm. Then they moved me to uh, assembly. You know, they, they taught me how to uh, build computers. And uh, then they moved me uh, to, I think, uh, after that, I went to sales. Yes. That was, that was before the internet, though. Like, uh, right around the internet time, right before the internet. So, like, you know, it was a lot of, uh, basically, it was like mail order from my catalog. Yeah. We needed salespeople. <laughs> you give away your age by talking about pre-internet stuff. Um, <laughs> right. You, you and I. Um where, where did your family locate when you came over from the USSR? Like, I know that now I believe you live in Florida, right? Uh, no, I live in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, you live in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, I must be referring to the guy, uh, to, my, to, our, uh, to my friend who, uh, who yeah. uh, told me to come on. He lives in Florida. I live in Cleveland. I just assumed, I just assumed that y'all lived near each other, and that was how you, um, how you met or connected. Well, he actually lived in Cleveland, and he moved to Florida. I gotcha. Gotcha. The Cleveland poker scene. I actually have two private coaching students who are 
who play poker in Cleveland very regularly. It's it's kind of bizarre to me how many <laughs> high level poker players live in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the, the the live poker scene is not so much. Uh, we we just have uh, for for no limit. Uh, we have a like a two five game at the casino, maybe five ten runs uh, sometimes. And PLO right now you can play five ten at the casino and some bigger private games. So like if you want to play bigger games, you have to go private. Uh, for the Cleveland poker scene. Yeah, I, I believe that. It, I mean, it's just interesting that there's like such a, a poker economy in Cleveland, Ohio. I would not have, I would not have guessed that, I guess. Well, I, I, it's, it's not a very good economy. It's not like, <laughs> well, I played everywhere else. It's not like Florida. It's not, uh, it's not like, uh, you know, Vegas or any other economy. So well, the, the economy for, mid, for like low to mid stakes, like if you want to play 2-5, then yes, you know, it, yeah. it's good. For anything higher, you have to, you have to go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's better than Atlanta, Georgia, right? Like, I guess in Atlanta, we do have a bunch of, like, high-stakes private games. But, I mean, for the most part, you know, it's everything is private. Everything's underground. Very tough to really find anything. But yeah, so going back to your story, and you're in Cleveland, Ohio. These charity charities where you can go play bl- blackjack. Tell me how that went with you and your friends. Uh, we would, I would bring a hundred bucks with me and uh, usually it didn't go well because uh, I didn't realize at the time the rules were horrible. Uh, we would push, they would, they would, uh, you would lose on a push. So uh, any, anything <laughs> 17 through 20, you lose on a push. But the, the, the only thing that they gave you was uh, blackjack instead of paying three to two, pay two to one. Wow. That seems yeah. like a really bad game. Right. So, uh, but I didn't know at the time and we just wanted to gamble. And then we saw, you know, just a bunch of tables in the back and people were, uh, playing with their chips and there's a lot of them and I had no idea what that was. So I asked my friends what it is and uh, they said they were playing uh, poker. You know? So, you know, well, I didn't think anything of it and we just continued playing. I just continued playing uh, blackjack. And then uh, my two friends, uh, I'll give them a shout out, uh, Fred and Hussein, they don't really uh, play poker. Uh, they have businesses, uh, but they, uh, they uh, tried poker and they said, wow, we played poker and the game is amazing. We should uh, switch to poker instead of uh, blackjack. And, uh, and I said, okay, fine. And so I had my hundred bucks and uh, they're literally on the way to, uh, to the charity. They're, they'll give me the rules. Like a straight, like Royal Flush is the best end. Uh, then straight Flush and blah, blah, blah. You know, and then uh, that, that's all I know. And I jump into this uh, three, six limit game. And the game seemed crazy to me. It was like, you know, it was like capped uh, seven way uh, on the flop. And then the flop was uh, pre-flop and flop was capped. So it's like playing blackjack $10 a hand. Now I see like pre-flop, there's like a hundred, $150 like in the pot with all these red chips. So I, I was like hooked instantly. Uh, I think I, 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 I got lucky. Uh, I won maybe like 60, 70 bucks my first session. Then I won like a hundred bucks my second session. And I just thought I was like the best player in the world. And like, this is like, you know, this, this is what I want to do. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Like the, when I was beginning my career, I saved up 3k from working at Applebee's and I moved down to Florida and played five ten limit. And then I won like my first 11 sessions or something like that. And like, I, I read books, like I, I studied <laughs> relentlessly, but like in five ten limit, like back in those days, I mean, you're not, you're not exaggerating. It's like eight way pre and six ways to the turn. And then five ways to like every single river. Um, every single hand, and then you get a mountain of red chips just pushed to you. Like, so that, that many get, chips. That get you high? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> many chips. I've told this story before, but uh, my first experience playing poker, live poker, I was—I think I was 20 years old. I was playing on a cruise to nowhere. 
I got aces, was like ramming and jamming. I don't remember the board. I don't remember the action. I just know that I had aces and like my raise button was stuck uh, for better or worse. And like I scoop a pot and I'm just out at sea. And then I kind of like look out the porthole and I realize like, oh shit, I don't feel so good. And just like ran outside and spewed over the, the side <laughs> onto like the canopy of the first deck. That was like my first entry into the world of poker, the first major pot that I won. Um, <laughs> kind of a hard one to forget. But yeah, so right. many chips, so many like $1 chips to stack up. That's, that's what I remember the most. Right, it literally took you like 10 minutes to stack them up. <laughs> right, you've played like four hands in the time that you're stacking up all these chips from the pot you just won. Right, but then, but then my honeymoon uh, ended and, uh, you know, reality kicked in because I was horrible. I remember my friend that uh, was giving me, like, coaching advice. He said, ace is a very powerful card. You cannot fold any <laughs> ace pre-flop, you know, because if you make a pair, that's the best pair that you can make. So I would have, like, ace seven off suit would be capped to me. Flop would be, like, king jack nine. I would just, like, call all the way, like, try to catch an ace. Like, any runner-runner, any runner-runner that I, would, that I would have, I would chase. I mean, probably was not a big mistake considering the butts I was getting. Yeah, you know? that, that's what's funny looking back on it. It's probably not, like, that big of a mistake considering you're getting 100 to 1 every single, <laughs> every single flop. Um, well, what happened after, you know, you, you learned that Ace is the most powerful card? <laughs> and then, well, obviously, I, I, there's some progression from there. I started losing, but I still, but I didn't want to lose. Right? Like, you know, I started losing and uh, I was losing my pay, not, not the whole paychecks, but I would lose like, you know, like a portion of my paychecks every week, uh, you know, sure. going to these games. And then rounders came up and uh, that was like, uh, that was amazing. Like, I just saw rounders. I'm like, wow, people can actually do this for a living. That, that, that's what I want to do. And uh, so I started, uh, I remember uh, Mike, uh, I think it was his name, right? Mike. Uh, Mike McD. He had books. And I'm like, there are poker books I can read. So I like searched the web. And I bought this limit poker book. And basically, like it told me, don't call pre flop with Jack Nine off suit. Like, no, pretty bad. Yeah. So, you know, just they give me basic, basic strategies like playing tight pre flop and, uh, like, you know, don't call for gut shots. So I turned from this, like, uh, you know, guy who just uh, called any bet with a seven off to like become the biggest net. Like, I remember I did not play. I didn't play any, any, any hand that was, did not have uh, two cards over, above a 10. Like, you know, it could be like seven way, it would be limp to me and a button, I would fold eight, nine suit just because it's like, you know, <laughs> I, I think uh, that, 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 that was wrong, you know? Yeah, too and much then, of an like, you know, the over. Not to chase gut shots. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would have king, queen, I would have king, queen, and flop would be jack, nine, three. And like, you know, I'm getting like 15 to one on the flop. And I'm like, oh, book says get, don't call gut shots. So I fold and then the turn would be like a king. And like, I would have won this spot like against ace jack. And I'm like, oh man. Yeah, it's a bit of an overcorrection, but probably okay for for the time it's better than the alternative um but, but just yeah. that be, be, being a super nit uh, made, made me a small winner so i started uh winning yeah i mean uh it, it, you know, i wasn't making a living but you know i was winning maybe like you know just playing tight being like a net and uh winning like 500 a month or so uh and then what was... at that time uh i, I quit uh, working for the computer company that i was yeah. working for and uh, uh there was a big thing around russian community uh, a lot of russians own computer companies like computer hardware and mm -hmm. we would go to trade shows all over, uh, all over, uh, you know, Midwest, South. Sometimes uh, you just basically set up like a booth Friday and Sunday, and you sell computers and computer hardware. So I want to do that with my friends. I didn't want to sit in the office, so I started working. You know, making like uh, eight hundred bucks, thousand bucks on the on the weekend, and I would play like uh, poker uh, during the week. And uh, so were you still playing at the charity? 
charity tournaments? Oh yeah, I was still I was still playing at the charity uh, uh, events. Oh, actually, even around the before uh, around that time, uh, Paradise Poker and Planet Poker came out. And uh, not only did I play the charity, I played uh, limit games on uh, Paradise Poker. Five Ten Limit was the best game. Yeah, yeah. I remember like sitting in my cubicle. That's when I decided to quit. I was sitting in my cubicle because sometimes we worked. I worked the second shift, which was uh, twelve to nine, and everybody would leave at six thirty, and I'd be the only one. And let's just say not too many phone calls got picked up. We're still playing Paradise Poker, not picking up any phone calls, not making any sales. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hold on, I got kings. I can't answer the phone. I gotta. I yeah, gotta that, play that, this that, hand. That's exactly how it was. Yeah, so like Planet Poker, Paradise Poker. I played that. I played the charity events, and uh, I was going to computer shows. And I mean, I was still, like I said, I was making maybe like four or five hundred bucks a month uh, doing that. So then, uh, I mean, I made, made some notes here. Uh, then I went to the show. Uh, after working with friends, I decided that, like you know, I, I want to go to shows for myself. So my friend owned a computer company. He gave me uh, computer parts and uh, hardware for cosign, meaning that he would give me his equipment, uh, uh, hardware. And uh, whatever I sell, I sell. Whatever I don't sell, I can give back to them and I don't have to pay for it. It's not a bad deal. So, right. It's a good deal. So I, w- I was doing that. When I did that, I set up, uh, I had to set up uh, a merchant account for, you know, accept credit cards. So I remember going to Huntington Bank and, uh, you know, I didn't know much about business. And the lady was asking me, how much do you anticipate to sell to sell a week? So, you know, like uh, I said, I said, maybe about or a month. I said, uh, you know, usually on shows you sell 20, 25,000 a month. That's uh about a hundred thousand, you know. I, I need a, a a merchant account for about a hundred thousand a month. Uh, well, she took it upon herself. She didn't think I would get uh, that much. I would get approved that much because I was like twenty four, twenty five. You know, first business, uh, no no real collateral. So unknown to me, she put down uh, that you know she she put down that I'm gonna uh, uh, she put me down for twenty thousand a month. What does it uh, mean so, for collateral and merchant accounts? Like this is like this is the old days before Stripe and PayPal and the payment processors that are so readily available. So like, how did it work back then with merchant accounts? So basically, you get a credit card machine, okay, and then uh, you you need a, uh, somebody who will accept the uh, you know the payments that the people will pay, and uh, you just need uh, someone who between the bank uh, will be a middleman between the bank and uh, and you. So they would take all the payments and they would, uh, they would put the money in, into your bank. And for that, you pay in like 2 or 3%. The, the 2 or 3% that, you know, Visa charges uh, merchants, uh, I mean, uh, sellers, you know, th- that, that goes to them. They, okay. They charge you for that. So it's like the carbon paper type situation where you just shoot over the credit card and it like makes the imprint and then you send all that stuff to the, the merchant people in the middle and then they process that to the bank? Correct. Yes, it was the carbon one. Uh, I had the carbon one, and I had a uh, uh, the, the swipe one. I had both. Yeah. Cool. All okay. right. So, so I, so I actually didn't that, know how, how that used to work. <laughs> what? I, I didn't know how that used to work. Um, the credit card processing system of old. Okay. Yeah. So so I did that. You know, I went to three shows. Uh, you know, things were good. I was selling. I was making maybe like you know fifteen hundred dollars a week for myself. And I remember uh, going to a show in Minnesota. And uh, we came to Minnesota, and actually, the show was connected. It was like an expo center, but it was connected to Canterbury Park. Uh, and uh, I, I basically left for the guys that I, that I took with me, my employees. I told them to work by themselves, and I spent the whole weekend playing the 3060. They're not even selling, just playing. That's how I did the whole poker. <laughs> <laughs> I spent the whole weekend playing the 3060 limit game at uh, Canterbury Park. I lost 3,000. Uh, but we had a good show. I sold for like thirty-five thousand that show, and uh, you know, after I paid my guys, I probably made uh, four thousand that weekend. So I was thinking, you know, not bad, not bad. Uh, you know, after like losing, I probably have a thousand. Yeah. So I get back, 
I get back to the office on uh, Monday and I check the bank account. It's not there. I check back on Tuesday. The money is not there. I call, uh, I, uh, I call the merchant account and I ask them what is going on. And they said, well, we have to freeze your money because you were approved for 20000 a month and then you sold 35000 in a week. So they're scared for fraud. So like, we're going we're gonna to hold on to this money. And, uh, you know, for the time frame, I don't know what they gave. Like, uh, we're going to hold on for like half a year, a year. Wow. Uh, make sure there's no charge. Just make sure there's no chargebacks, right? Yeah, a year. Just make sure, like, you know, like, because, like, there's a lot of fraud going on. They can go sell merchandise and I go back to Russia. And now they're stuck with, like, chargebacks. Sure. So they want to protect themselves from chargebacks. So now, you know, I get back. I get back from the, from the show and I, uh, I, the money's not there and I have to pay, uh, and I have to pay for the, for the merchandise that I sold. And uh, I don't have any money to pay for it. So I used all my savings. Basically, I had like I owed I owed uh, maybe twenty five thousand. I used all my savings of fifteen thousand, borrowed uh, some uh, money from my mom, and I paid. And uh, but the guy was scared. He knew what was going on. He didn't want to give me uh, any more equipment uh, for cosign because he was worried that like you know if I go out of business or something would happen that he's he's not going to be able to uh, you know recoup his money. Yeah, it's it's pretty reasonable, right? Because like you're you're frozen at the merchant account. So like, what can you do? Well, right. Yes, exactly. So I don't, I, I don't blame him one bit. Yeah. So that like forced me like, okay, what, what, what am I going to do now? Like, you know, like uh, that, that forced me to uh, play professionally. So I had maybe <laughs> about four or 5,000 that, you know, left from uh, borrowing from, uh, money from my mom. And uh, I started going just to like charity rooms and playing, uh, you know, at that time, I think it was already 2003, 2004, like party poker. Like party poker had the 3060, the 1530s, uh, you know, six max uh, games. And they had a, uh, it was before it even had no limit, I think, or maybe one two no limit was the biggest games uh, that they had there. I think they had some like twenty five cent or twenty five nl at like fifty big blind type no limit situation. Like the thirty sixty was the big game that had like sixty people on the wait list every day. Like uh, I, I remember waking up at like four in the morning and getting on the list for the thirty sixty and going back to sleep and like just hoping <laughs> that I didn't oversleep my seat. Right. I, yeah, I remember those games on the wait list. And I, I, I didn't think I played much 3060. I played a bunch of uh, 1530. Yeah. But anyways, like, you know, it was very hard to play under pressure. And obviously I wasn't, you know, I don't think I was a very good player at the time. Sure. So I lost the 5,000 uh, quickly. And here I am. I'm like dead broke. Uh, I'm actually getting evicted from my apartment because I can't pay the rent. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in debt. I owe my mom like 20,000. I owe, uh, I didn't have to pay it, but like I didn't know at the time because I was not really good at business. Like, you know, I had a warehouse lease. So I owed uh, 4,000 for uh for the lease on my uh, warehouse and i owed uh, still three thousand because i leased my credit card machine so now i'm like i'm 24 i don't have a college education and uh, i don't really have a career i'm getting evicted from my apartment and like i'm just in a panic mode mm, yeah uh, so i uh i move into my mom's house and i just like regrouped and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna do uh, computer shows working for someone else i'm gonna make a thousand dollars a week you know and i can pay my mom back and then i played like three six uh five ten on the side, like you know, just like I would have, I would have proper bankroll management. Just before, like when I played fifteen thirty, I had a five thousand dollar, I had five hundred my uh, party poker account, and I would like I'll play fifteen thirty. Sure, yeah. So I was like, all right, you know. So basically, I was doing that for like you know a couple of months. I was like winning at uh, three six and five ten, and I was like you know basically, you know, just like paying my mom like four hundred here, five hundred there. Uh, I paid for the warehouse, I paid for the credit card machine. So I was uh, cutting my debt uh, down. Mm -hmm. Then. Uh, I took a trip, uh, you know, I was already like uh, halfway through uh, paying the debt, you know, from 30,000, I owed 15,000 and uh, I had maybe like two, 3,000, like, you know, just to spend money. And I went to uh, Vegas with uh, my friends. 
and uh, we played, uh, I played in Vegas, uh, we would party, and then, like, you know, I played, uh, I think I started the session at 5 o'clock at night, 5 p.m., I started a 30-60 session, 30-60 limit session. And uh, What happened to bankroll management? What? <laughs> what happened well, to the bankroll management? The time, so, like, I knew, like, <laughs> even if I blow this 2,000, I can make 1,000 next week, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So, there's still a deacon in me. I don't, you know, so I'm playing the 30-60 limit game, and, uh, the 36 lemon game, uh, I'm up like 800. It's 5 a.m. So I've been playing for for 12 hours, and the game breaks. And there, there's no other games there. And uh, I see on the side, there's like, a, I think Bellagio first started having a 10-20 no limit game. Like basically, they won't have any other game. There would be 10-20 no limit, no 1-2, no 2-5, just like limit and 10-20 no limit. <laughs> yeah, nice transition there. So I'm like, ah, oh, 36, I don't know the difference. I'm like, 36 uh, limit, 10-20 no limit, like uh, what, what? Uh, same thing, probably. So I sit down. I sit down. I'm up like 800. I sit down like, with like you know, I think with uh, $1,000 or $1,500 and 1020 no limit. And uh, this is the hottest that I ran in my life. Like, I, I, I should have been broke like many, many times, but like uh, uh, some miracles happen. So like, you know, I'm playing. I bring my stack up to like, you know, like two, 3,000. I double my stack. I get kings and, uh, you know, this uh, guy gets nines. And the club came king nine something. You know, so I double up. I have like 6,000 now. So I continue playing, continue playing. You know, I brought up my stack to like 7,000. And uh, I got in. I have, I had ace nine and the flop came ace nine eight. And I got in on the flop, the whole 7,000 against the, the super nip. Like, you know, I like, I don't know. Like, I don't know the stack depth. This is the first time playing no limit. I don't know big blinds. I don't know, like, you know, that like you have 400 pot control, anything. Just like, I know I'm, I'm a limit player. I have top two. You know, eight, you just put yeah. as much money as possible, like on the flop and it's right. So he had it turns out he had pocket eight and uh, I river I river an ace. So now like I uh I double up or I have like uh twelve thousand. So from twelve thousand, you know, like I'm feeling good, I'm blocking some spots and I bring my stack up. I don't remember what hands I bring my stack up to like eighteen thousand now. Okay, then I get kings. That's another miracle that happened. Again, like, you know, keep in mind that I, I do not know anything about big money. All I know is I have games. I have 18,000. And the guy, this guy uh, that used to play there, I think his name was Grant. He, he literally just buy in for like 50,000. He was the original, like, pro at, uh, at 1020. Yeah. And uh, free flop, we get, we get into this free flop. You know, I opened free flop. I think it was, I don't remember the size, but I assume I was opening to like 80 or 100 at the time. And he raised me to 400. And I re-raised him to 1,500. Now, if he would have went all in, I would have snapped all them. You know, I just have kings. I don't know. You're like, you know, I don't know. It's bad to get like 900 big blinds and free flop with kings. So it's like, yeah. he just calls me and the flop comes ace high. Flop comes ace high. I check, he bets. I fold kings face up and he shows me aces face up. Now, if a flop Ooh. came low, if the ace was not on the flop, I still would have got all the money in. Yeah. So I, I should have been broke there. So I only lose like 1,500 in the hand where uh, I should have lost 18,000. Uh, and then uh, from there, you know, it's already, uh, then again, like, you know, I don't remember the hands, but I remember I had like, uh, I, I'm sitting on 21,000 somehow. And uh, it's already, I started the session at 5 p.m. It's already like, I've been playing for 36 hours, pretty much. Wow. And uh, I, I, made, I remember I made a call on the river. I made a call on the river where I thought I had a straight, but I had like, uh, I, called, I called somebody on the river, they went all in, I called them for 3,000, what, what I thought was a straight, but it turns out like I had a pair and uh, like, you know, like, uh, uh, open ender on the river. It wasn't a trick. <laughs> Told him with the third pair. But I was so tired. My eyes were bleeding. I was like, "All right, that's uh, that's time to go." 
So after after winning that session, I was able to pay to fully uh, pay back, fully pay back, uh, you know, my mom and uh, and and have some money left over. Uh, and uh, that, that 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 got me started. Uh, and I think uh, the week after, I still wanted to play No Limit. No shit. So, <laughs> right, like, you know, I never played I mean, Limit, so like you know, the closest casino to us was uh, Detroit. So I went to Detroit to play the ten twenty No Limit game. And uh, I brought like I had like seven thousand. Uh, I had seven thousand after paying all my uh, all my debts. Like you know, I brought five thousand with me to Detroit to play. That was next week to play uh, the ten twenty, ten twenty uh, no limit. I think I brought my stack up to seven thousand again. Uh, and uh, I remember opening fucking deuces under the gun, and it was three bet by the button, and I called, and the flop came ten jack seven, and uh, I checked, and the guy bets, and I remember thinking like. Be like any like soldiers. I'm like, you know what? Like back in the day, if you got three bets, was only aces or kings, right? I'm mm-hmm. like, this guy doesn't have tens, jacks, or or uh, sevens. He doesn't have eight, nine. I can have all those hands. So like, I, I raise him. He he calls me. Turn is a four, you know. So I'm gonna. Uh, that was a D gen. So I continue my bluff. Uh, I don't I don't know the size. I I bet, and he calls me, and I'm th- remember thinking like, oh my god, like I worked so hard, I just lose all my money and just took the bluff because <laughs> I already plan on bluffing the river, mm-hmm. right? And the river is the deuce. <laughs> so now I had a set of the river. <laughs> and I go all in and the guy calls me and I flip up. He's like, you have a set? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I flip over and I had deuces and he just flipped out. I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> he like threw his chair on the floor. He ran all, all his friends like pointing his fingers with me. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I still have to walk out here in the parking lot. This guy's going to kill me. I just beat him like that. <laughs> so after that, now I have a $10,000 bankroll and uh, I quit going to shows and I started uh, playing, uh, you know, on, uh, I started playing uh, online. I think that was about the time where I found uh, 2 plus 2 from the books. You know, on the back of the books, they said 2 plus 2 forms. I found 2 plus 2 and... Uh, and the tournaments were on TV, and I started playing the the party poker, like hundred dollars sit and goes. You know, like the ones I don't know if you remember. Every ten hands, the blinds would go up. Oh, I I, I played more than my fair share of those and the step tournaments as well. Okay, then we probably played we probably played together because then like you know like two plus two was absolute goldmine back in the day. We had yeah. a, a Z, Z Justin posting. You know, he was a, like a, a big two hundred guy. Justin yeah, he, he was playing. He was playing the two hundred sit and goes. Like I, I played with him a billion times back back right, in the yeah, day. He was he was the star of the two hundred stuff. David right. Benefield, like all those guys, all those big guys before they became big, they just shared all this valuable information. Uh, so like two plus two. Uh, you know, after I found two plus two, I started playing uh, sit and goes, and I loved it. So I played uh, sit and goes, and not much cash after that. Uh, wouldn't really have a casino. I didn't really feel like uh, driving to Detroit. So I was doing pretty uh, well in those. It was it was really amazing how much of a concentration of talent was on two plus two back in those days. They had like all the talent in the whole poker universe on their forums. Yeah, just imagine like right now you're like picking the brains of I don't know who the best players are, like Linus Love or OTP Red Bear, and just going in like you know and telling you no, you should play it this way, you should play it that way. Yeah, just like actually giving feedback on the hands they're playing and posting hands and like diving in depth strategically on everything, just like out there in the open for anybody to to read. Yeah, I mean it, it was amazing. Like I basically I think I owe my career to like two plus two, and then later on uh, card runners. Yeah. Uh, so then I was playing sit and goes. I was doing pretty well. Uh, I saved enough money. I moved into an apartment. I moved out of my mom's house. Uh, I moved into an apartment. I had a decent bankroll. Were and, you uh, actively, I mean, tell me about your progression from like, you know, 
check raising the deuces and running this bluff <laughs> to playing sitting the hundred dollar sit and goes in earnest because I know that like there is a skill jump that's that was needed even back then to you know to be a winning hundred uh hundred dollar buy in sit and go player. Uh well, I mean, the, the, luckily for me, uh, uh, there was not a lot of good players playing, right? So like it was basically two plus two. I lived on two plus two. I read everything I could read. The post pop play was not like very important. The 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 push shove was very very important, right? Sure. A lot of people yeah. were making mistakes. Like people were calling, like you know, like uh, forehanded. And you, uh, I remember like one guy called uh, a big step shoved, and another big step called with ace three off suit, you know. <laughs> and I was a short stack, and somehow miraculously like made the money because the top three paid. Yeah. So people were just really, really bad. And I was, you know, I was, I was bad myself, but I was better than, than them. Right. Yeah. Not, not much ICM consider. Actually, there was a fair amount of ICM consideration, like as, it, as you started playing the better players, but the low, low people. In, I in, mean, in, in the 200s, I did not do well. I, I don't think I lost in 200s. Uh, I think I, I might've broke even in 200s, but the hundreds were uh, are significantly easier than, uh, than the 200s and goes. Ah, I see. I should have known this. Like, 20 years ago, I would have been in business. <laughs> okay, so that, then from seven goes, uh, let me see, uh, from the seven goes, uh, I was playing seven goes and I think I played like a private game. I, I didn't play uh, Limit much anymore. I, I just played seven goes and I played like a private uh, house game. And I would play like, you know, a little no limit cash. I, 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 stopped, I stopped playing Limit altogether and I would play no limit cash, but I was very bad. I would like make money in seven goes. And I would, uh, I would uh, make, and I would lose it in, uh, in, you know, I would lose like half of it in uh, playing cash. Just like, you know, not understanding like anything, like any concept, like pod control, like, you know, like the, the, the BB, the, you know. Anything. That, anything, <laughs> basically anything. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was bad. Like, you know, I, I was good. Like, you know, I was semi-decent at push-off, but I was bad at like, you know, at, uh, at post-flop play. I played basically the limit, like how I would play limit. Right. Which worked uh, out the first time. What's that? Which, which worked out your first attempt at playing No Limit, which probably... Oh, right. but that was like extreme, extremely lucky. That was yeah, like yeah. getting struck by lightning. Exactly. Well, it, the, the chain of events that happened there. And sometimes... Uh, I, I, found, oh, gonna, I found card runners. Yeah. Okay. I found card runners, and uh, that was like a whole new planet. Like, you know, the, 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 there's like... I remember two concepts. The Seabat and, uh, and uh, raising when, uh, when people dunked into you. That was like a whole new world. Wait a minute! Like I don't I, like you mean you mean I can I can bet like even if I don't hit I can bet. <laughs> so I just literally my C bet percentage was a hundred. <laughs> like I would have ace three diamonds flop would be jack nine eight spades like C bet like doesn't matter like like nothing else matters just C bet. It, you, what's funny is just that's probably going to be profitable just having a hundred percent C bet like it's going to make money um, even back then just because of like defense frequencies and stuff like that. Well, it did. It printed money. And then uh, uh, other other thing I learned from uh, card runners was uh, if, if uh, somebody dunked into you, if somebody dunked into you, you just raise them. And if they call, you just like bet the turn and you shove the river. And that like I think printed even more money than uh, than the sea bet. That was just like absolute like gold mine. Yeah, I I mentioned on Twitter something uh, a while back that was like if I donked into somebody between the years of like 2005 to 2010. Like I 100% had a set, <laughs> whether it was like live or online. It was just like, if I donked into you, I have a set every single time, which is just kind of so, funny, so funny I thinking against you Because I remember those guys and I was getting really pissed. Like, why would he lead a set? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know? that, was a, that was the thought was <laughs> like, like uh, two times, they would fold like 90 times out of 100, they would fold and then 10 times out of 100, they would have a set and they would like, fold, fold, fold. <laughs> and then like, I would just pew off with the hand. Like, I, I don't even have a draw. Like any, any random hand, I would just like, <laughs> 
didn't, didn't matter what I had. Yeah, I thought I was so clever because the thought was like, they'll think, why would I ever just lead into them with a set? And then they're just going to go crazy and give me their stack, which happened a shockingly high percentage of the time back then. Too. Well, that, that is exactly what my thinking was, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> It's so, funny. you know, but, but, you know, when I started playing No Limit, I didn't start like many guys, like, you know, depositing $50 and uh, like playing like, you know, like from 10 cent, 25 cent. I just started playing like bigger live games. I just went straight to two, four. So I was, I found card runners and I was playing uh, on a uh, party poker. And sometimes I would jump into the five ten games against the uh, blood, sweat, tears, Lola, I tricked you, Empire Maker. And, you know, and then uh, I would lose there, but I would make money at two, four and three, six. Blood, sweat, tears, fucking animal original animal like heads up no limit player like just in boss beast yeah he was him lolo trick and i think some of the fun caddy uh were like you know top top players at the time so i had no chance against them yeah but two four and three six like everyone was a fish right it, it, it just like there there's not too many professional pokers uh you know around that time so that that started my no limit career and uh i remember uh you know i was already making uh good money uh, playing like two, four, three, six, and then I expanded to uh, uh, poker stars, and then you know party poker shut down, so I moved my money over, cashed out, and I moved my money. I was playing poker stars full tilt and uh, some UB, and uh, I remember on, on full tilt, on full tilt, I brought up, I brought up my, uh, I brought up my, uh, my balance from like two thousand deposit to like twenty five thousand uh, in about in about a month, and uh, all of a sudden one day I log in in my account. And my account is frozen. And uh, so I emailed them and they, and they told me that I'm, I'm associated with like some fraudulent account and uh, they will not release my money. So that was like a big part of my bankroll. I, was, I started freaking out and like turns out what happened, like I was playing this like home game and uh, the guy who ran the home game, he wasn't famous uh, for like robbing poker sites. Like back in the day, like the way you would deposit is uh, you would like, you know, you would do an ACH from your checking account. So he would free roll him, like you know, he would he would do ACH. The, the site the site would uh, put the money in your account immediately, and uh, you know he, he would play. If if he won, he would cover the ACH, and if not, he wouldn't cover, and and, and that would bounce. So he was doing it himself, and then he was finding other people, like you know, to free roll the sites. And unknowingly to me, like while waiting in games, I was logging in, I was logging in uh, and playing from that computer. Mm, yeah. So they they locked my full tilt account and like I had to uh I had to go on two plus two I don't know if you remember FTP Doug I don't know if you played on a uh, full tilt but there was a uh, not uh, really it was basically one of the side side representative on uh, on two plus two and I had to like message him and like other players uh stepped in uh and and said like you know we know this guy's been playing for a while he plays on stars he plays on uh, UB he's not you know he's he, he he's he's he he's not he's not a cheater. Uh, so they opened my account and they told me that, you know, if you ever log in from any other place besides your IP, your account is frozen. And like, you know, that's it. You're not going to get it open again. Yeah. And customer reps for all the major platforms used to be on 2 plus 2 so that you could communicate. Did you find it surprising at all that like the community sort of rallied behind you to get your account unfrozen? Because like, I mean, like if you think about it rationally, like there's not much incentive for other poker players to do that i've just seen this happen like in so many instances throughout just throughout my career well mo most of the people who stepped in for me were like reputable players right because like i was active on the forums like you know i was already i was reading the single forums but i was active on the on the uh, mid-stakes forums and like you know and uh, we would go back and forth sure so they were kind of like not my friends but like we would talk online like on the forums but right. obviously there were some people that like you know enter in the thread like ah you're a fucking cheater uh, you deserve <laughs> to get your money taken 
that's what you get from logging in from others. Like, obviously, there was a lot of haters who were like, you know, just trying to take another side. But, you know, most capital players took my side. And, uh, yes, you know, that, uh, th th thankfully for that, uh, my account was open. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. Did you ever get your money back from it getting frozen for the merchant account, by the way? We, we skipped over that. I, I assume that at some point you, you would get your uh, money on frozen. I got maybe like 1500 bucks because what happened, I went out of business. So people were calling, people doing a lot of chargebacks. So like I had a lot of chargebacks come through just because people could not like, you know, could not get a hold of me because my company was out of business. So uh, out of like the 30,000 that was frozen, I might've got like maybe 1500 back like two years later because after like all the penalties, fees, chargebacks. But didn't they, they buy the buy the hardware like what was the yeah, they, they, what were your fo kept, follow up they basically up? kept the hardware and uh they basically kept the hardware and uh and, and got and did chargebacks what why though like what what was your responsibility moving forward after they bought the hardware was there like support well yeah the responsibility was to, was support and my company was out of business so they could not get a hold of me they could gotcha. not get a hold of my company so they would you know do chargebacks and like i don't, I don't even know because i didn't keep track because i already like counted money as like lost like you know Gotcha. Like, gotcha. I, I, I don't know. So basically, yeah, I did get like pennies on a dollar, like you know, several years later. So all those people kind of, kind of scammed you, <laughs> like they yeah, are they kinda, scam, they scammed, scammed the they, system. They, 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 they kept the computers and uh, they got their money back. Yeah, a, gotcha. a, a lot of them. But then, like, and I was also like charged like you know uh, penalties and fees by the credit company. So I don't know which was more than the chargebacks or the or the, or the fees. Yeah. The penalties. Brutal way of doing business back then. Those merchant accounts. Uh, it makes me very grateful for the payment processing systems that we have available these days. But uh, I digress. I, that just popped in my head. I didn't know what was the end result of that. But yeah, going back to your full tilt getting unlocked and you're still, you're grinding. What year is it in this? In this, was, this, this is around, uh, like I would say, I think Party Poker got shut down 2006. So this is around uh, 2007, mm -hmm. 2000, yeah, around 2007. So nothing, nothing uh, major happened around like you know between 2006 and 2011. Yeah, you're playing poker professionally, making a decent living, paying your way through life, and you know we can segue to 2011, which is always a you know an inflection point in the career of people that have been around for a while. Uh, so come 2011, at that time I was already. Well, table ratings came out, you know, so I could see I was like already like one of the biggest winners in the stars uh, mid stakes games. Sure. And uh, while, while playing uh, full tilt and UB, it was like me, Google's nose, uh, King Ten of Clubs, uh, not the tournament player, but he was a cash player on stars and like, you know, uh, other other people. So, Nanonoko. Nanonoko, 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 yeah. He was playing, he was playing every stakes, him. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, what happened? Now, you know, I was, I was, I was doing very well for myself. You know, uh, like I, I was playing online, I was uh, smashing, and then I remember, like, uh, you know how, like, you remember when you were at during nine eleven? Like everyone remembers during nine eleven. So I remember I had a morning session. You know, I, I, I smashed the morning session on stars, and uh, I took a break. I was reading a book, and then I come in, I log into my computer, and it said, "You're uh, this country is restricted from uh, playing." 
And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Now I'm scared. Like I run on two plus two when I see everyone posting, like, you know, that, uh, that, 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 you know, that, that uh, something's happened. Again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm freaking out. I had like six figures on every side. I don't know why. It was just stupid. Like, you know, like basically when I was young, I was stupid. I was playing three, six, sometimes five, ten, <laughs> and, and I dabble in tournaments. And I kept, just because I didn't like, you know, the, the pressure of playing with low bankroll. I just, I just kept, uh, uh, you know, I think I had like a hundred thousand in, uh, in, uh, in, on all three sides. So now I have like $320,000 locked, like not knowing <laughs> if I'm going to get it back. Yeah. Quite the sweat. So focus starts paid uh, quite quickly. And, uh, you know, obviously full tilt and you be uh, paid uh, yeah, later. So I moved on to, uh, live poker. Uh, at the time, like, you know, Detroit, Detroit was the closest casino. There was no casinos. I, I had, uh, we, we did have like, you know, like charity rooms. Uh, they had a two, five, 500 cap game. I mean, it was really, really, really good game at the time. And, uh, if I wanted to play bigger, I would have to go to Detroit. So basically that's what I did. I, every, uh, every out of a month, out of four weeks, out of a month, I would travel to Detroit, like three weeks, like Thursday, leave, uh, Thursday and stay why, until like Sunday morning. Why not move to somewhere that's got poker, like, you know, Vegas or LA? Or even the Bay Area. Uh, I couldn't move. I was I was, I was uh, married. I had I had a young daughter. I had the support you know system. So it just like you know, moving was not really an option for me. Gotcha, gotcha. But Detroit was the hidden gem. They probably had the best games in the country that like no one knew about. Really? Yeah, they had really, really, really good games. Not a lot of pros and just like tons of money, tons of action. Uh, they had uh, like a, uh, on, on Fridays we played ten twenty, and uh, you know, and uh, on Saturdays we played five ten. And uh, I did well, you know, doing that. Like, you know, I think I completely, like, smashed that game. And then uh, the casino opened in uh, Cleveland. Uh, casino opened in Cleveland, and I stopped going to Detroit. Uh, I, th I think it was around 2013 or so that, uh, you know, Jack Casino came to Cleveland, and uh, we were playing uh, 510, no limit. That didn't last too long. I think a lot of uh, key people went broke, and then, like, you know, we switched the game to 5-5. But the 5-5 game... Uh, it was two thousand dollar buying, so that, that that was incredible. That was a, a really really good game. You know, I did I did well uh, during that game too. And after that, that stopped. Uh, so the only game that was available to me now uh, was a two five two five uh, no limit like cap game with five hundred. And I couldn't do well anymore because I couldn't do the things I did in the deep game. Like you know, I couldn't make people fold aces or top pair for like you know when I have three hundred bucks in front of them. And, yeah, uh, I couldn't play the hands that I wanted to play pre flop. So that was like very boring. I mean, I still did play online that time. I, I played on uh, minted poker and I played on uh, cake. So, like you know, I, I did I did combo both, but like you know, but I, I enjoyed live more. So I played like you know, like half and half. Right, and I think too, like at least in my experience, when Black Friday happened, I was very, uh, I was burned. Like <laughs> I, I did not feel real great playing online at really any site for a number of years after black friday it was just like kind of over it like man fuck fuck online poker for a little while and just i moved to la and lived at the commerce to play pretty much every day um around the time that black friday happened just because like i just didn't want to deal with online anymore well, I got I got my money frozen two more times after Black Friday. I played on minted poker. <laughs> the minted minted poker had eighteen thousand on there. Minted poker uh, stopped yeah. taking Americans, and they said you have to you have to open up a Canadian account uh, to get your money back. So like the first uh, the first one right when they said it because Detroit is on the border with Canada. I, I when I was going to Detroit, I went to Windsor and I opened up an account in Bank of Montreal and mm -hmm. they paid me back. 
And then from what I heard, like people who like waited for a couple of weeks, they didn't get their money. You know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't have enough to send to them. So luckily I got that. And then I played on the site called, uh, I got a hold of somebody through VPN on Mucho's Poker. They basically was like, you could play five platforms from like one central station. You can play like Cake, Merge, and some Italian network. And uh, I played on there also. And uh, basically they went out of business and I had like eight, eight or 9,000 there that like disappeared. Like I couldn't get back. So yes, the same as you. I was just like scared about playing on uh, online, like, you know, and keeping like a large bankroll on there. So I tried, you know, to play, to play uh, more, more live than online. Yeah, so you've been just grinding these live games. Is that has that been the path from like 2013 to present day? Well, no. Then uh, since I had I had no choice, I couldn't move. And uh, the game, the only game that was available to me was uh, two five five hundred cap. Uh, there were still people playing PLO, and PLO like all the mm. whales moved from uh, no limit to PLO. And I mean, I tried PLO a couple times, and like I never wanted PLO. I was basically a holding player playing PLO. Like, I way over CBET, was getting blown off my equity, like, you know, like, overvaluing, like, bad hands, like, you know, like, bottom two, bottom two pair and, like, a jack high flush draw, you know, like, I would get it all in, like, would get it in against, like, you know, setting the flush draw. And <laughs> yeah. Like, just common mistakes that, like, no limit players make uh, when they play PLO, uh, when they play PLO. Sure. So, I moved to, I moved to PLO, and I, I didn't know how to play, and I just played extremely tight. Like, that's all I did. Like, I played. Like back, back, like in my uh, limit days, like when I would have play certain hands, I would just play like certain hands. I remember one time uh, it was folded to me, and I'm in the cutoff. It was like I raised and three callers, and I had ace, king, queen, nine, suited to the king. And I folded the hand because it was not suited to the ace, and my cards flipped over. <laughs> like the dealer flipped over my cards, and the whole table was looking at me, <laughs> and their eyes are about to pop out. Like, <laughs> there was like at least four players who would go all in with that hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So th that that was pretty embarrassing, you know. But like I was a net pre flop, but I still like you know had like you know I I, I was still capable of uh, post flop, like you know like if if I if if I, I needed to make a move, I would be able to make a move, and I had the bankroll to do it. So so that's how I switched to PLO, and like you know, and I was Did still you... playing online. I'm playing. I was playing at uh, an ignition, and I was playing on uh, on uh, ACR three yeah. three euros, which is a very good side, like you know three euros, much much better than now. So I was doing I was doing that and. Uh, what did you, what steps PLO? did you take to improve your PLO game? Like now at this stage in your career, you're familiar with the resources that exist. So what did you seek out and read? Basically I watched, uh, I was a member at uh, run it once and I watched some of those videos and, uh, my whole career, like, you know, I, I basically learned the uh, poker just by learning, just by watching hands, learning, like, you know, thinking like, why is this guy doing that? Like, why is that guy doing like, what is he trying to accomplish? And just like trying to break it down. And just thinking about hands and just kind of like learning on the fly. That's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I learned the uh, PLO. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was not even like, you know, uh, th that good. Just like, you know, again, like I was playing against people who were like uh, much, much worse than you. Just like a lot of action. Like all the whales yeah. were playing PLO. They were like, get like, you know, they were rolling with king, queen, jack, three, one suit, you know. And it's just hard to lose to those people if you just play tight. Yeah. So I fell in love. I fell in love with PLO, and uh, you know, and I was continuing to play to play uh, that uh, PLO, uh, you know, live PLO games, uh, some private games here, and uh, I would play online on the side until like COVID hit, and then I would just play strictly online for like a year and a half, and then not play live. And you you haven't ventured into the MTT streets very much. It's been just pure cash. I did play. I did play MTTs back in the day in 2010. I had my best year. Uh, I, uh, not best year. Best year at the time. I had better years then. Uh, I think I won like uh, 500,000 in 2010. 
uh, that's why Black Friday was so devastating. I was like, I won, I had my breakout year. I won 500,000, 2010. Uh, basically, back in the day, if you were a good cash player, you can just like jump into any MCT and you, you're probably going to be one of the best MCT players. So I, I made about 150,000 playing like, uh, just playing strictly MCTs, like not strictly MCTs, but playing like a mix of cash and MCTs. But I made 150 of my income came from uh, MCTs. Yes. Back in those days, too, if you're a cash game player and like somebody binks an MTT, you're kind of like salivating when they join the cash streets because they were typically just giving it away. Right. And, or, or a good cash player would go play MTTs and he would immediately be the favorite. So that's what I did. Like I played, I played MTTs and cash in 2010. And then in 2011, right before Black Friday, I was already on pace to, be, to beat that year and you know, just playing like cash and MTTs. But yeah. after Black Friday, the prize pools like, were not obviously as big available to me. And I, uh, I, I did not play MTTs. But the good cash was way more appealing. Like, I didn't like the idea of sitting 14, 15 hours in front of a computer. Well, that time, didn't have your answers. Like, eight, nine hours in front of a computer. You know, that, that just wasn't appealing to me. Yeah. People tend to forget, but Party Poker back in the day, like, 20, uh, 2005, they had a 200K guaranteed every single night. Like, it was a nightly 200K guaranteed 200 plus 15 buy-in tournaments. I mean, they were like... The guarantees in the tournaments that were around in those days were just, it was crazy. Right. And then, and then, like, you know, it's not worth it. I'm not going to play, like, what did I play? Like, I played a minted poker. Like, what am I going to play? A $5,000 guarantee? Yeah. Well, like, no. And, and live, live tournaments, live tournaments uh, were not that appealing to me, also. Just like, I would go to Vegas and I would only play the World Series of Poker. I would play, I would go there for two weeks. I would, I would sit in the 1020 Bellagio game, which, like, pre 2011, the, the Bellagio came at 1020. That was an amazing game. If you were sitting there, and there were more than two pros in that game, you're, you're just in a bad game. <laughs> yeah, you're doing something wrong. Tell me, when you transitioned back to online poker and throughout your whole journey here, what did you use to improve your game? Like, what do you, what do you use these days? What's your process look like for studying, growth, um, with some of the tools that we have available uh, in present day? Well, I bought a PS solver, and uh, I didn't know how to use it. I paid somebody to show me. I ran some sims, and like, I didn't like it. I don't know. I just thought, uh, it, it's, uh, it was like, I didn't, I didn't like studying. I didn't even know if I put the right inputs in. Yeah. So basically, I just like learned by playing. I was able like, you know, to, like, you know, I was sitting, I wasn't really game selecting. I was just sitting like with good players and, uh, and, uh, just learning, like, you know, like realizing like when they do something or put me in a tough spot, I was like breaking down, like why this is a tough spot, like what I can do to combat it, you know, just like, uh, just watching, 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 playing against good players. That's, that's, that's how I learned. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is probably the path for most people that that's journey is like ours, right? Right. Like, and, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying like, you know, this, it just, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I have two kids. I have a teenager. I have a toddler. I have a wife, uh, who works during the day. I only, I can only put maybe like 30, 35 hours a week, uh, from poker. So like for me, I think it's going to be more valuable to uh, play those, those hours instead of like, you know, like playing 15 and studying 15, which is not even fun. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think just the word study for me is not very fun because it reminds me of school, which I hated school and didn't really enjoy studying back then either. And I mean, I think that like, like you mentioned about Pio, I've mentioned it many times on the show that like the inputs matter and you can't just blindly take what the, what you see on the outputs, which basically means you need to invest a lot of energy into getting things that you can actually utilize and deploy from Pio into your game and a lot of times like a lot of study is just not very impactful I, I think like a lot of study just leads people down bad paths and then they 
create bad habits and they think they're doing well, then they get crushed and then they sort of spiral downward and get sad. So, and like, like the old guys like us, we just discuss poker with our friends or watch poker on TV. And if you think about poker at a high level, you can kind of reverse engineer like what better players are doing or what they must be thinking. We can make these assumptions and extract the principles from there and then sort of add those to our own games and upgrade our own thought processes. Uh, correct. I mean, people still have tendencies. Like people like over, you know, over bluff two, two spots. People under bluff two spots. And like you know, if you're observant, you can you can you can pick that up. You can also know your image. Like you know, like knowing like what people like expect you to do. And you know, people so have patterns, like, like very, right. very like specific back people. In the, back in the day, it was, it was just so easy. They're like, you know, if you play two, four, three, six, there were like certain spot, spots where people just never bluff. Like all you have to do is figure out, uh, do I beat their value, right? Yeah. Uh, or and, or they just, they have a C-bat size of like 30 and they have a C-bat size of like 55 and 30s when they're bluffing and 55s right. when they're stronger. So like you just raise the 30 and fold to the 55, right. unless you have a good well, hand and then you just start shoveling the chips in the middle versus the 55. Right. So, like you know, back 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 in the day, it was easy. And also, like, not only uh, did they have like certain actions that they took, which uh, like knew what they were doing. Like, if you if you're playing two, four, three, six back in the day, and somebody three bet you pre flop, and they and they bet the flop, bet the turn, and they check the river, like they were folding. Like you know, like ninety five percent of the time they were just folding. Yep. Like they they never they never called me. So like you know, back in the day, back in the day, there's like you learn spots, right? Like you know, this is the spot where I can bluff. This is the spot like people don't bluff, and you just don't pay. Now it's a little bit harder because like, you know, a lot of good players like don't have spots where they like don't bluff. They, they, uh, you know, there's always a, a, some sort of a bluff in that spot. So you know, not, not starting PO, I kind of understand like, you know, I think I have a poker brain. I kind of understand like what region those bluffs coming from, uh, like, you know, uh, what hands they're using to bluff. And then like, you know, and, and then how I decide, that's how I decide if I'm going to call, if I'm going to bluff, I don't count combos. I just like, you know, see, like, you know, if someone's like, uh, if, if there's a certain spot that they don't take, like, you know, if they like show down, uh, like a busted straight draw on a nine high board, they're probably not over bluffing that spot. So I should give them credit. But if they're betting every time and I catch them, they you know they're probably like over over bluffing that spot. Yeah. So it's it's constructing strategies against the specific players you're playing against that you can utilize and basically um, use against them. You could you create your own counter strategies against very specific opponents because of the deficiencies in their strategies. And I mean, this is just how like poker has been won from by the pros forever. Also, also realizing where your money comes from, right? Like, I think uh, I play very, very, very well against recreational players. In part, because I was that recreational player once. I know how they think. I played for 20 years with them. Like, you know, yeah. like, like there's, there's my friends would be like, would tell me a hand they say, well, you know, this whale did this, that, that. I'm like, well, what makes him a whale? Like, what does he do? Right? So, like, you know, like, uh, so I, I think I play uh, very well against recreational players. So I might be sitting at the table and uh, against regs, and like, you know, I'm not saying I'm an underdog to them, but even they're beating me. So I might have like, you know, uh, a table structure of four regs and one recreational player. Uh, so I might lose like uh, half a blind to one reg, a blind to another reg. So throughout all the regs combined, I might lose like two, two big blinds an hour, right? But then the recreational player who's sitting there and making massive mistakes, I'm, I'm winning maybe uh, 10 big blinds an hour off him. So now my win rate is maybe eight big, eight big blinds, not an hour, but eight big blinds a hundred, right? And then uh, with the regs playing GTO, they're they're beating me for you know maybe one. They're breaking even against each other, and they're beating the rec for four. So now their win rate is five big blinds a hundred. Now who they might be better players than me, but who has a better win rate? Yeah, you, know, you just have to realize where your money comes from and focus on that. And like you know, yeah, I might be losing some money in some spots to a few regs, but as long as I'm winning and I'm winning at a decent rate, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna change it. I don't you know I'm just happy with my win rate right now. I mean, it's just so true in poker that like 
80% of your winnings comes from 20% of the players that you play against. And those players are not the regs. <laughs> they are not the good players. They are the weakest players in the pool. And, you know, as it relates to like the podcast, Chasing Poker Greatness, and then the courses that I make, they're all geared towards playing exploitatively versus the fish, because that's where most of the money is won. And to me, like if you're on the path to being a winning poker player, understanding how to exploit fish maximally is like step number one in the journey because like that's where the money comes from that's where your win rate comes from it doesn't matter how good you are at the end of the day that's where the bulk of your winnings every single month comes from so you need to you need to know how to play very very well against the weakest players in the pool that's correct so like i said yes so you know, I, I think Doug Polk, Doug Polk is obviously a great player, uh, but I think he'll ruin like, or cost a lot of people a lot of money. I, I remember uh, my buddy who uh, recommended me to the, to the podcast. I was telling him a hand uh, I played in 510. And at that time, like Doug Polk had his videos poker hands. And uh, I remember uh, I was playing a live 510 game, 510 no limit game. And uh, it was like an old guy raised to 30. And the next guy next to him, another old guy, you know, ABC player raised to 100. And uh, one guy is sitting on 1500 the other guy is sitting on 2000 It's folded around to me in a big blind or a small blind. I have pocket small blind. I have pocket eights. I have pocket eights and I call 100 because I know, like, you know, the guy is aces. I had an eight. I'm going to stack him. And uh, if I don't, I'm just going to fold. So I call my eights and the guy calls. And the flop came eight, ten, four. So I dunk into the field. I dunk into the <laughs> field. I, I bet, like, you know, there's like, what, 400 in the pot? I bet, like, you know, I just know they're never folding. So I bet 250. I bet 250. And uh, the guy in the middle, Raises to a thousand. The other guy goes all in. I go all in, and we we, we just got a three-way all in on the flop. So the guy in the middle had queens. The guy who made it a hundred had eights, and I have eights. And the flop came, and the turn of the river came nine jack, and I lose the hand. So I complain to my friend about losing the hand, right? Just like I'm not even asking for advice. Yeah. And he, and he asked me, "Well, how are you balancing your bluffs on the flop?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "What bluffs do you have?" And I'm like, well, "What are you talking about? Like uh, zero? I have no no bluffs. Why would I have a bluff? Like they're gonna call me." He's like, "Well, that's a bad way to play poker." he was watching like poker hands like you know you, you should not have a leading range and you should never call from small blind <laughs> yeah. like what are you talking about you got like five thousand in on the flop. <laughs> like that's a heavy favorite <laughs> like, right well, you should construct your ranges uh you know and like i don't even know what that means do you have to wear a construction hat when you do that <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, like right like people people are like uh, focusing on like playing like the gto way or the proper way that they're, they're leaving a lot of money on the table where like you know most of the time with the games they're playing like don't you don't, you don't need to study and I think it's a misnomer too that like this uh, the just the word GTO like game theory optimal right if you were to plug in exact these two player profiles in the, that exact spot knowing that like you don't need a bluffing range because they just always have overpairs and they're never folding and like that's the spot then like the GTO uh, strategy would be what you did right you wouldn't need a bluff because they always have aces and they're never folding so like there's no solver on the planet that would advocate for you bluffing there or having a lower equity hand when villain just is never folding and always getting the money in right and i think that's sort of the misconception as it relates to solvers and strategy construction is like sometimes if the villain is never folding you just don't fucking bluff and like that's the gto response because otherwise it's just futile right like you're just yeah you're just torching money for no reason. Right. So that's why that's, you know, that's, that's why I don't really study PO because like, I, I think to beat high stakes, you definitely have to study and you have to be really good and understand like theory. I mean, I kind of do, but I can understand the way obviously the computer does, but I'm not playing in a hundred case against like Alim, Servage, Chidwick, and I'm not playing in 25, 50, 50, a hundred 
against uh, Linus Love. I'm playing like, you know, ma mainly my game now is uh, 2 5 through 10 20, BLO both. I play no limit and uh, BLO. And uh, in the games that I play, like, you know, it's just like I'm not playing against robots. I'm, getting, I'm playing against people who, like, who have frequencies, who, like, you know, have uh, certain leaks. And, like, you know, it's just like uh, you just watch and observe and you can make money that way. Yeah, it's it's always reassuring running into folks like you in the wild that have just been successful for so many years and just understanding that po poker fundamentally is a game of people. And if you understand the people that you're playing against, that is going to take you so far. Like just that in and of itself takes you so far as a professional poker player, way farther than at, you know, at the beginning of your journey, trying to like memorize frequencies and memorize like some GTO output that you can actually never execute in the real world. And is also not very good when you do execute it in the real world. And just, it's just a reminder to the listener that like, there's more than one way to skin a cat and more than one way to make money in this poker journey. I mean, also, I, I watch some Twitch videos, right? Like, I understand Russian, so I watch some Russian players. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're using theory, you know, they're playing, and uh, they, have, uh, they have a random hand generator, uh, generator mm -hmm. and they can only play maybe like four tables, right? Because if you want to play GTO and you want to randomize hands, like, you can't play a lot of tables. So that, that's uh, another reason like, is uh, I'm able to play like eight, ten tables. I don't need to randomize. I do kind of randomize. It's like, but my randomizer is not the number generator. It's like if I don't have any hands like going on another table, then I might be back to light. If I do, then I'll fold. You know, <laughs> it's still kind of random. It's just like you don't know what it is. I don't need a number to tell me. But like you know, I, I'm able to play more tables just because I simplified my poker. Like you know, I don't need to have three different sizes like on the flop. I just know the texture and like you know, sometimes I bet one size, sometimes I bet other sizes, whatever comes in my brain. If I'm playing against a recreational player, I'm just like you know, betting the size that I think is going to net me the most money. You know. What sites are you playing on these days? Uh, right now I'm playing on, uh, I'm playing on, uh, well, I, I'm playing, usually my play is in the morning. So I'll play from uh, eight o'clock in the morning. Well, that's my window. I don't play the whole time until five. So I'll play on uh, Ignition, I'll play on Global, and I'll play on ACR. I have to get all three sites uh, just to get, like, you know, to get my volume in in the mornings because there might be like two games on one side, two games on another side. And then I also play uh, some private apps. Nice. Uh, on private apps, uh, you know, I have bigger games available to me. I would play some 10, 20, 40 PLO. And uh, if, if, if I can get in the game, the game runs from overnight, which doesn't uh, very often happen. So I'll play uh, most of these sites and I'll play in, uh, you know, PLO and uh, private apps. So you're, you're putting in quite a bit of volume these days from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m.? Well, I'm not playing all that time. It's just my window to play. Like, oh, know, that's like, just a like, window. My kid goes to, uh, my kid goes to uh, you know, uh, daycare. My, wife is, my wife's at work. And uh, that's my time period. So, like, within, within that uh, period, you know, I go to the gym. I may give my teenager a ride here and there. So, like, play-wise, I think I play maybe, uh, like, 30 hours a week. Actual, like, you know, uh, play, play time. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty reasonable, I think. 30 hours a week, especially if you're playing 8 to 10 tables. That's still a lot of volume. So now, Igor, we're going to transition uh, to the lightning round. Now that we've, we're caught up to present day, just some, some quick questions here. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what book would you suggest? And it doesn't have to be about poker. One book to read. Uh, that would be a TJ Cloutier, uh, No Limit uh, Oldham Strategy. That, that helped me a lot. No, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, one book to read. Oh, I don't know what book to read. Fooled by Randomness, I think. Uh, that, that was uh, uh, the popular book amongst poker players. Just... Uh, like to show, like to teach you about variance. That was that was a very good book that I like. Just so you can understand like the variance and like you know that you can run good 
and uh, and you, you you don't even know it, or you can run better, you don't know it. That pulled by randomness would would be a book that I would recommend. Yeah, that's that's a book I, that's been suggested before, and always I think every poker player should read it. What's some common poker advice you hear, and we probably already covered this, that you completely disagree with? Oh, and I hear many people say it, even like a special live games and pros. I I would rather play against uh, uh, good players than bad players. You know, they're they're easier to read. They respect my raises. I always know what they have. And yes. uh, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And they always <laughs> argue with me. Like, like you know what? You want to play against good players? Go load up ACR at 8, 8 a.m. in the morning. There'll be four Russians waiting for you. And uh, go go play them and tell me how you do. Yeah. You know? best, best of luck, buddy. Um, I think it, if you are inclined to say those words out loud while you're playing live poker and you're listening to this podcast right now, please don't say them out loud because it will expose it will expose you to everybody that knows what's going on in the game because you want to play against bad players. You do not want to play against good players. If you go to wreck a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does your billboard say? Put your headphones down, put your phone down, and pay attention. Yeah. Be present. Why does being present and paying attention mean so much to you, Igor? Because you can just get so much. Live players, give, uh, they're, they're, they're basically so unbalanced that you can get so much information just by their bad sizes, by seeing showdowns. You can get their whole strategy by like watching one hand. So if you're on your phone and uh, if you're like listening to music and you're not there, you're going to miss a lot of tells. It's going to cost you, uh, it's gonna cost you uh, a big part of your win rate. Right. And, and just listen to what people say. Like, you know, how many times you're in a hand and uh, the guy would stack off and they got, another guy would be like, oh, I can't believe you just stacked off with one pair. You know, so right away, you know, like, oh, my God, like, this guy just gave you su- such valuable information, which you won't get if you're wearing headphones. Like, now, you know, like if the guy has one, anytime he's kept to one pair, you can just literally put the chips and they'll never call you. Yes, <laughs> that's uh, and also when you start putting the chips in and they have one pair, they almost never raise either. So like basically, if if or they always raise their like hands that are better than one pair at an earlier node, and so it's just like bet bet jam um, is just going to print money against that type of player. And and you're right, like the thing that great live poker players do is they construct opponent's strategy better than the opponents themselves construct their own strategy so like you know what people are doing better than they themselves know and therein lies your ability to exploit and you're able to do that by just paying attention and listening to what people say and seeing hands that go to showdown or you know having your neighbor on your right or left flash you their cards before they fold i mean all of these little bits of information add up and make a dramatic impact to your hourly rate I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I always had a, a very big win rate in, in live poker, more than, like, you know, some people wouldn't believe, but I do have witnesses, and it's because I always, like, talk to people. I never had headphones, and I always pay attention. Like, you know, you can just, like like you said, like, I know my opponent's strategy better than they know. Like, I know, like, what they have or don't have by, by their actions, just because I'm able to watch showdowns. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm listening to them speak, and, like, I know what they're saying, and I can process information, like, to my advantage. Yeah, and that and that is that is your gift, right? That that's what has allowed you to be successful for this long period of time is just understanding people and doing a real good job of knowing their strategy better than they themselves know it. You're one hundred percent correct. Like poker is a people's game. Yes, you're not playing robots; you're playing people. Exactly. It, that's that's what also why, like back in the day, I would play cards. Uh, this happened. So talking about two plus two, I was friends with Vanessa Selbst. We, I traveled to Foxwoods. We played with each other. And she said something that was like really funny to me. It was like, whenever you're not in a pot with me and you're playing against somebody else, like I always know what you have. 
but whenever we're in a pot together, like I never know. Right. And it's like, yeah, you know, but this is poker. Like, it doesn't matter if everybody in the casino knows what you have. If the player that you're playing against in that moment has no idea, you just take the max exploit strategy, but then you have to protect yourself when you're playing against good players, which makes it, you know, more difficult for them to discern what you have. I'm very glad you said that because I'm sure my friend who recommended me on this podcast is listening. And that's like one, one thing he tells me is like, I don't want to change my play. Like, you know, like when he plays, like he will bet his one third against a recreational player. And like a lot of recreational players, they have a leak. They'll call flop, they call turn, they fold river. So like when you're betting small and flop and turn, and like you're just missing the value because like, you know, they, uh, because they're not going to, they're not going to call you. And he said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to change my play because the regs, uh, I, I got to know what I'm doing. And I said, well, are, are the regs in the pot? He goes, no. Like, well, then why do you, why do you care? Like, if they're going to know, like, you're not going to play that way against them. Like, why, why do you care if they know, like, what hand do you have against the wreck? I, I, I could care less, you know? Yeah. You said, you, you said exactly the same thing. Maybe I'll listen to you versus <laughs> me. Like, I've only been around for, like, 20 years. So, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe I'll listen to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We're supposed to start up private coaching soon, so we'll see uh, how much he listens. Um, another thing that I'll just give away to the podcast listener for free right now is in private coaching sessions with my online players, um, one thing that I advocate them all the time is like, if there's two fish in the blinds and you're on the button, fucking open like four or five X, like it doesn't matter. Even if there's a reg in the small blind and you open four X or five X with the whale in the big blind, like what are they going to do about it? Even if they know what you're doing, like, are they going to attack you super wide? No, because like they know that they have to risk more money and they're out of position and you, you have a stronger hand, but getting in those extra big blinds against the fish when the fish is out of position is very valuable downstream and just snowballs into so much, so much, um, more EV that like, yeah, we can make this exploit. And like, it doesn't matter if everybody knows what you're doing. If the fish doesn't know, then do it because it makes more money. And ultimately at the end of the day, our job is to maximize our hourly rate while we're playing cards. 100%. Yes. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I, I hate when I do that. I just like, like I'll go on this tangent, then I'll just end it with like no segue for you to like pick up. You're just like, yes, I, I agree. And I'm like, well, that's what I said. Is it, is it my turn now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's a project you're working on these days that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, you know what? I'm not really uh, working on any projects. Uh, you know, I, just, I play poker. I have some uh, real estate investments that I do passively with, uh, with my friend. Uh, I invest in this company, you know, he flips houses, but you know, besides that, you know, I just don't, don't really have anything that I'm, that I'm working on. Raising children, right? That's a thing. That's a well, project. That's a project. Yeah, that's always that. That's the toughest project. Raising children. Yeah, the ongoing most difficult project. Um, Igor, it's been great hearing your story, getting to know you on the podcast. Like, uh, it's always great to see somebody whose path mirrors your own, um, especially like the cash game side of it, because th those have always been the streets that I've been attracted to. And uh, so, final question: If anybody wants to. Uh, connect with you or if you don't want anybody to connect with you <laughs> that's fine too but um what's your social media handle for the chasing poker greatness podcast listener uh you can find me on uh, twitter i don't really post much but if you really want to it's uh at igor uh i think underscore ayafi but yeah, yeah mostly i like to stay private because i kind of look like a creational player and uh it's easier to get in some games that you know guys with backpacks can get into yeah, yeah, I I'm 100 percent. And I knew but that before I asked that question being like to me, in my experience, like cash game players don't really chase the prestige in poker. I think that's more like the the MTT players. So we like being under the radar and kind of just, you know, going through life, paying our way through playing cards and then 
nobody ever being none the wiser. Right. Yeah. I, just, I don't really care about fame. You know, and just, uh, I'm, I started poker playing for money and I still do. And I don't really care about any, any, anything else. Awesome, man. It's been great having you. Thank you for your time and your energy once again. Best of luck on the green felt. All right. Thank you. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.